Hey there, wonderful listeners. It's Stuart here again. Welcome to The Finnovator. And uh, in this episode, I'm sharing a webinar, a masterclass, a recording from a conversation with, I think, one of the most passionate people I know when it comes to this whole space of the future development of advice. Paul Feeney uh, has got a great story in his own right. But what I love about Paul is whenever I sit down and talk to him about fintech, about advice, about what the future should look like. Uh, he's one of these people who has just such strong views and clear on what the outcome is. But most importantly, he's done something about it. If you haven't checked out Map My Plan, mapmyplan.com.au, please do. It was one of the first platforms I know of that gave consumers the ability through a step-by-step process to literally create their own financial plan. And whilst at the time, a lot of people looked at this as being threatening to advice, I don't know about you, but at the time and now looking back on it, anything that enables uh, us to share the load with clients of creating that, that advice, I think is a good thing. And as a result, I think Paul is really opening the doors into what, what many of us believe is going to be the future of you know advice creation, which is less about the statement of advice and more about the co-creation of the plan uh, from the first appointment onwards. Uh, yeah, it's an exciting space. Uh, and in this session, and with Paul, we talked about a lot of areas. We talked about online marketing came into it because one of the things that first drew me to Paul is the way that he generated 5,000 signs up to his platform using a very, very smart social media strategy, which I think anybody here can really, really learn from. We talked about you know the building of the platform, how it works. We talked about customer experience or see user experience testing. Uh, and we talked about his experience of working directly with ASIC to get them to change the regulations around uh you know, creating advice online after they'd originally said that every single time somebody made a change to any piece of data in the system, it was a new SOA. Yeah, can you imagine that? That would have been crazy. And most of all, I hope you enjoy hearing from Paul. Um, he's one of these people that I love to get together with, have a beer, chew the fat, and uh, as you'll gather from our discussion, I think he's got a huge amount to offer our industry. Anyway, without a further uh, delay, let me present to you on behalf of the Finnovator mapping the future with the good man, Paul Feeney. I, I first had the opportunity of meeting with Paul. I can't remember how we connected, but in January, February of this year. And when we sat down to have a look at um, Map My Plan, which is what he's been working on for about the last 20 months, as well as just talk about some of uh, his experiences in the industry, I, I, I kind of realized straight away that he was doing something very special. So I'm really delighted to have the opportunity today to talk to Paul and really unpack a few different things. Uh, talk about you know his path to building what, what I think is a true robo-advisor. And having just come back from the US, the robo-advice is obviously in fintech is a, is a, is a big deal over there. But um, in many cases, what, what we call robo-advice is, is actually just automated investment management. And uh, as you're going to hear from Paul, uh, his belief is that true advice uh, in an automated sense is, is a very different thing. But I'm really also interested in diving deep on a couple of different things. Um, Paul's managed to uh, assemble quite an impressive board of advice and do it pretty quickly. And I'm I'd love to know a bit more about how, how he went through that process and, and came up with such a quality group of mentors because I think it's relevant. Uh, but also, one of the things I was most impressed by when we met was uh, you know this amazing social media campaign he ran in February where he generated 7,000 hits, a 30% conversion rate onto his, um, onto his quiz and I think about five, at least 500 signups. I'm sure those, those numbers are due to be uh, updated, but uh, I'm, I'm really keen to hear because I know a lot of you on the program and outside of the program are doing things on social media. Uh, and it can sometimes be a hit and miss thing. So let's hear from Paul and find out what he's got going on. 
you know, Paul's had a really incredibly varied career. We, we sat down and chatted about the various different places he's been to, and he's lived in Kenya. I think he's lived in Singapore. He's lived in the UK. He's been uh, worked in the private banking system. He's been working the accounting system, and now he's working very much in, in the startup world and, and very deeply into it. So. Uh, really keen to bring him on the line and we're just going to dive in and find out, you know, what's it been like building Map My Plan and more importantly, um, has he been able to make it such a success uh, in offering advice in an online world? So let me just grab Paul on board here. Paul, are you there? I am, yes. Excellent. Welcome. How are you? Good, thanks. Very well. Yourself? Very good. Did I, did I get the intro kind of right or did I make any mistakes along the way? No, you've done well, mate. Great. Because it is, I mean, you've had quite a varied career along the way haven't you yeah i mean it's you've got to go out and have a look at the world haven't you and have a, um, a try a few different things and like most of us it's the things you say no to or yes to that decide your the path of your life yeah and i like just to jump in and try different things that's very true i am um, one of my guilty pleasures is the movie sliding doors are you familiar with it yeah yeah i know the concept in the movie yeah yeah and i reckon if i went back and sort of mapped out uh why I'm doing what I do. I reckon there's about six or seven sliding doors moments along the way, which are direct, directly responsible for me being here today. Yeah, yeah, we've all got those in our lives. We have indeed, yeah. And I think some are bigger than others. Hey, uh, thank you very much for joining. I wanted to start off by asking you, you know, where, where, where are you today? What's your surroundings? What was your morning like? Yeah, yeah. I get up usually pretty early in the morning, do some exercise and stuff, but I've got a, um, a desk over at the um, Stone and Chalk, the FinTech Hub in, uh, in Sydney. Good place to work, uh, a lot of corporate partners you can engage with, but essentially it's you know it's better than working at home, I suppose. That's true. And how long have you been have you been how long have you been working at Stone Chalk? Um, I was a part-time desk owner when they started in August last year and went full-time in January this year. Okay, nice. And what kind of businesses are, uh, are you working with over there? Or is it just more merely a desk thing? Yeah, it's look, there's some engagement with some others, but everyone's got it's, it's head down, bum up sort of thing, you know, just going away and working and you, you really gotta try and, and not push your way around, but it's, it's, you know, engage with people, be proactive and, and find ways to collaborate. There's a few businesses around there that you can do that with as well, but most it. of us get in front of all the corporate partners as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I, I hear the, the Stone Shore guys have got a pretty interesting background between them as well. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good environment. Hey, uh, I always like to start these things by asking the Zappos t Tony Say question, one of his favorite interview questions. And it is on a scale of one to 10, Paul, how weird are you? It changes day to day, mate. I think today it's a bit of a six. Um, I mean, I, in, inherently, I'm a, I'm a contrarian. I like to like to question things and I like to, to agitate a little bit. Um, sometimes that can come off a little bit weird. Um, but no, pretty normal bloke in, in, the, in the sense of it. Got a young kid. I used to spend a lot of money on mine until he came along. He's now taken charge. But uh, yeah, I like to explore new things, taste and, and experience different things as much as I can. Yeah, fair enough. Hence the path you're on. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think I very rarely get people who turn around and go, yeah, I'm a two. Everyone's always in the six, seven. I get a couple of nines <laughs> on the day. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, being weird seems to be the new normal. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'm down at a two, you know, you just plodding along. <laughs> hey, um, give us a bit, give us an overview because uh, not everybody sort of goes down this path of, of starting a business. What's your history? How did you get into financial advice? Yeah, this is actually the third business I've started. Um, the first one was back in 1997. I was living in, uh, just moved from Malaysia to Singapore and started a business that did economic and political research to CEOs. Uh, we built that business over three, four years to five cities, 50 people. Um, we sold that business out and I did some study. Um, I did marketing at uni, but 
I realized that I couldn't really use the financial statements as a good management tool. So I went and did Securities Institute and I ended up going down the path of financial planning and then also the applied um, investment um, course as well. And came back to Australia in 2005 and got into financial planning that way. Worked for a small accounting firm, then worked for Perpetual. And then I was in private banker at Credit Suisse for about four years looking after. So right from the small mums and dads through the mass affluent was a big call in this industry and, and then the big private banking sort of clients as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I left there and started another business where we expanded from here to the UK and came back from the UK late 2014 and started Map My Plan. Um, so yeah, I've lived in Kenya as well, as you said earlier. That was a lot of fun 20 years ago. Uh, first sort of job at a uni. And I suppose the path takes you many different ways, but it's, for me, the inspiration of doing this is that that stat of one in five Australians access advice hasn't changed in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's many, many reasons for it. And a big one from the industry's perspective is its cost. We can't afford to go and do traditional face-to-face advice to the vast majority of the population who still need it. Hmm. Um, so looking at technology, I thought, well, surely when we take the complex out and the more complex clients away, the majority of the people's financial lives really aren't that complicated. And financial planning being a very much a logic-based uh, profession, and yes, there's a lot of nuances that we have to take into account, but there's a lot of logic behind it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, let's program that basic logic and let's start changing that stat of one in five. Uh, let's increase the number of people who are accessing advice. And technology is a platform that allows you to scale that out. So your, your, your premise on this is that you believe that the 80% of people are not getting advice. The main issue stopping them from doing so is price. No. I think the main issue of the advice community giving advice to those people is cost. I think the thing that stops them is very different. We did a, a survey last year. and The new one is just being put together as we speak this year on the financial fitness of working Australians. We excluded all retired people because they're the financial healthiest and they skew the data. And we asked them many questions, what their financial pain points are, why don't they get advice? And their biggest reasons were, it's confusing, it's intimidating, I don't have enough money, I don't see the value. Um, And we all know the other one, I just feel as I'm going to be sold a product. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, it's when you're out there trying to build something else, you've got to eliminate all of those reasons and make the advice even more accessible. Um, so the research we did really pointed us in the direction of, well, this is what the platform's got to do and this is how it's got to work. And it's, it's tailored the approach that we've taken for that audience. You know what, before we go any further, um, now some of the people in the audience probably may have actually looked at Map My Plan, but it might be worth just giving them the, you know, the two-minute overview as to what Map My Plan is and why, how it differs from what we know as your normal robo-advice kind of offering. Yeah, um, well, I'd start off robo-advice. It's such a universal term, yeah? I'd break that down into three parts. You've got, as you said in the introduction, and you've got those automated investors, those firms that give you the ETF and make it easy for you to save and easy for you to manage. It's a great service. The other end of the spectrum is what we refer to as the PFM, the personal financial management tools, like the pocketbooks and so forth, where you and Money Brilliant, Money Soft, where you actually put in your account details. And it's a dynamic budgeting tool that really helps you understand where your money is going. Uh, once again, another great service. And then there's something right in the middle, uh, which is the advice part. And that's where Matt, my plan sits. Um, we go about delivering and, and providing holistic strategic advice. In essence, Matt, my plan is a self-directed, fully automated financial planning tool that lets anyone build a holistic financial plan 
without needing to engage an advisor. We're not replacing advisors, but it's more just allowing people to start that process of building a plan, building their confidence, building their knowledge, so that they then eventually go along, utilise that traditional face-to-face -face service that we as an industry uh, provide. Um, so that's in essence what we do. Okay, that's that's excellent. And I've, I've, I've played with it a few times, and uh, it's also a pretty good-looking tool. I mean, we were chatting on Monday, and you told me a bit about the first iteration of it was great, but didn't look fantastic. Yeah. And it's it's obviously come a long way. It's really super easy, and it's just it's sort of uh, you know what I'd call it like bits and pieces you can play with to sort of tweak and get there. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's a never-ending task of improving that user interface, and we'll come up with a new edition by the end of the year as well. Hey, um, just to sort of uh, go a bit deeper on the background to it. Whenever I speak to people who do something, whether it's a, a startup or there's usually a source where that passion has come from, whether it's experience they've had or conversations or even something a bit you know, earlier on, where does your passion come from for making advice like something that's more accessible than mainstream? Yeah, look, I think it's really unfortunate that the majority of financial planners are brilliant people and they really care about their clients and we're yeah. all being painted with a really bad brush. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what, you can't blame the community for looking at us that way when we look at the headlines that have been going on the last couple of years, right, from Storm Financial through to now, you know, CBA is up in the headlines. Um, my father was on a defined benefit pension with the local government, and him and 28 other people from the local council had a meeting with a, with a retail super fund. I won't name the one. And they basically tried to convince them all to go from the retail, from the defined benefit into the retail fund. It's about 12 years ago or whatever. My dad didn't do it because I was in the game, but before he'd go back and tell others not to, um, eight of the people had done it already. Yeah. Uh, and that's absolutely criminal. Uh, it's something you shouldn't be able to do. Um, and then also just whinging to my wife about this changing and the fact that until we as an industry separate written advice from products, we're never going to be a profession. And I was banging on about this and one day my wife was telling me, well, bloody do something about it then. Get off your ass <laughs> and do something. Um, so then I started thinking about it, just had a bit of a brain dump and, and put it down. And yeah, we've had a few pivots and iterations here and there. But it, for me, I want to provide advice to the people who aren't getting it. Mm. Their financial lives are not as complicated. And most of them have got the financial products they need already to manage their financial lives. So we don't need to lead or even mention products. Because at its core, financial planning is essentially helping people articulate their goals mm -hmm. and looking at the lumps of money they've got and their regular monthly um, surpluses or income mm -hmm. and deciding what do I do with that capital? Mm -hmm. In essence, that's all financial planning is. But yes, we take into account an awful lot of variables uh, that allow us to give great advice. But it's really just building it down to that sort of level and making it accessible for a lot more people. Yeah, it's interesting coming back from, from the US and, and seeing some of what they're doing out there. It's like when you, do, I think someone turned around and said, we were talking about recruiting planners and they said, one of the things they're looking for now is if you are somebody who has a natural affirmation or desire to help people, then it's the profession for you. But if you don't, it's going to be really hard for you to sort of stick it out. But it's when you're in that space where it is true financial planning as opposed to, you know, product or invest, you know, put you in an investment portfolio, it's the efficiency. That's the, it's the scale where it's really challenging. So any tools, I mean, that's why we're having a conversation too, any tools which you can implement which are going to help with the back office the middle office or even better some of the early stage engagement stuff you know you end up with a client sitting in front of you who's ready you've got their information and you can just deal with the business of, of solving the problem that's really exciting i think yeah and, and 
when advisors that we work with at the moment and talking with, when they use our solution and white label it, that's exactly what we're doing. We're helping them reach beyond the, the clients that they can service face-to-face and reaching into a different demographic, typically younger dem- demographic, hmm. and starting them on the process of developing a plan, which ultimately delivers well-educated, well-qualified clients who know the value in getting a financial plan. Totally. And when they're ready to implement, they go. Because one key difference I didn't talk about before is that we don't sell and we guarantee to never sell any products to our clients. We just focus on the strategic advice. Yeah. We stop where the traditional planner starts. We've we've warmed them up for you. They've got their they've got their the basic plan. Like it's almost like I take them knee deep into the water, uh, but your planning takes them up to the nose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, implement it all and so forth. So it's really working with those guys to to enable them to go that far. And and the first meeting ends up being for these advisors a um a strategy meeting because the clients provide all the data already and you can see where their pain points are and you can show the value you can add. Which is what you want. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm really, what I'm keen to do is, I'm, you know, I've got a really interest in the startup space and I'm really yeah. keen. I know how hard it is when you first start out just to get an idea going. Like it's one of the hardest things in, the, in, in, in of all. I know there's a few people I can see on the list and we've got quite a few people here today who, who've, who've been in that space. They're, they're trying to get something going. So I'd love to talk a bit about the early days. You know, how did you get it started? What were the first incarnations of Map My Plan? Yeah, I, I basically wrote a, I think it was an 18-page brain dump on what an automated advice program could do and look like and lots of stuff. And, and it's probably, you know, we've gone leaps and bounds beyond there, but it was more just to get the idea um, out of my head and onto paper. Um, I then approached, I was still in London, and approached a, a mate of mine who owns his own digital agency down here, mm-hmm. gave him the concept, showed him the brief, and he came back and said, yeah, we can do that sort of stuff. Right. He said, but before you go and start spending your own money, before you get investment, you, you've got to find out if, if this is a good idea. And, you know, we've all heard of the minimal viable product and yeah. lean startup and all that sort of stuff. I'm not a big proponent of, of lean startup. I much prefer Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One. Okay. Um, where you've really got to show someone what you're doing and then get the feedback. But nonetheless, I digress a little bit. And, and, for, those, we, just, just, and for those who are not familiar with the, the theory, it's, it's based around reversing the traditional product cycle. Like traditionally, you have an idea, you build it, you put it out there and you see if it flies. And the idea behind some of the lean startup thinking is you go and talk to the market, you find out what they want, and then you build the minimum, cheapest, most leanest product you can to go out and prove whether what people are telling you is actually the way they behave. Yeah. Yeah, that's spot on. And our first minimal viable product, if we can call it that, was we did a 90-second video just talking about the concept of letting people build their own plan. Okay. And we spent $1,000 promoting that on YouTube and Facebook. And I said, look, if we get 500 people liking it and, and 1,000 hits to look at it, then I'm going to do it. Uh, and we ended up getting over 1,000 people reacting to it uh, positively. Uh, so we thought, okay, well, let's do that. And then the process from there was just to start what the industry calls wireframing. So if you look at a website, it's just a black and white drawing, but every single screenshot and how it would flow for the client to work there. And that was a three-month process. Okay. You don't want to start programming it and then change your mind because that's going to be a big waste of money. And it was from those wireframes and what looks now, looking back at a pretty average pitch deck, but back there I was pretty proud of it, um, went out and raised some capital. Uh, initially... Um, I had some money and then raised uh, raised some from others. And then that took us through to the period of June, July last year where we had our first 
workable solution. And it was ugly. Um, <laughs> but we are, what we really focused on was does the back end calculations, people use the word algorithms, it's basically fancy if and then statements really. Yeah. Um, does it actually work? And when someone puts information, does it spit out advice that actually is valid and correct? Yeah. Then we started developing the user interface. So while we're building that user interface, we put that research out into the field to find out what are the financial pain points and what are the pressure points that our service really needs to, to meet, I suppose, and, and, and to fix. And that gave us the direction then to go down and, and what areas and what functionality we add first and second, third, fourth, uh, along that sort of path. So you're designing, I'm really keen to go into the minutia about your, you've got this idea, you've written out the plan, you start to draw up these screenshots, basically, of what a potential, yeah. what, what were you using? Were you, were you pen and paper or were you using an online tool? Yeah, for me, I was using pen and paper. The web developers use a tool called InnoVision, yep. uh, uh, which, you know, you can, it can be black and white, it can be graphics, whatever it is, but then it sort of gives you a dynamic clicking so you can click through and, and you can see yep. how it works. And so then having that, they'll click through and show those investors. Um, so it's a bit more than a drawing on the back of the envelope, but it was yeah. only just the next page. Almost like, you know, as a kid, you used to get the corner of a, a Fool's Cat page and you'd write a little man and, and you'd make him run because you'd flick the, the pages up. Like that sort of stuff, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just to give a client experience. Um, and that's where it went from. And when you were getting investment, uh, a couple of questions I'll ask is, firstly, what were, what were the investors looking for? Yeah, look, at that early stage, they're investing in you. Okay. In, that's, that's all investors. So typically, you're looking at family and friends and angel investors, people who know you, people you've helped in the past, uh, people you may have backed, and not, not necessarily monetarily, but help them out with things. Um, so it's looking for your network there. And you're really looking for people who can help you develop it and introduce you to others. It's interesting. One of the angel investors talked about the whole launch thing in, when, in Silicon Valley. And we talked about it before we came on. It's so analog. It's, it's, you've got this massive digital world and you've got this analog process whereby literally it's the Hollywood system, you know, where you go and speak to a director and you say, hey, I've got Tom Cruise and Angelina Jolie. And director goes, I'm in. And then you go and speak to Angelina Jolie and Tom Cruise and say, I've got this director. And even now when you're la they're launching sort of particularly crowdfunding, which is one of the things that came on board, the guys who are funding you, they'll look at your LinkedIn network and they'll say, who have you got in your network? And the whole launch strategy is you want sort of five or six or maybe 10 or 20 influencers. So when you launch, they're going to go, I've invested, I've invested. And then suddenly you get this momentum. So yeah. it's almost like it sounds. Like, it's almost like a quasi beauty uh, pageant at times, I guess. It's an arduous task, and and we did a bit of an analog thing like that. But we launched our research paper in late November last year, and we mm. just focused on launching that. Um, which for us, Matt, my plan. Who's that? Who's behind that? It's, it's you know we're, we're no one. Um, but having that actual research um, of sixteen hundred Australian working Australians helped a great deal to add credibility got us some press and that photo you saw at the beginning there was, was a, from an article in The Australian that we got from as a result of that, um, that launch. Uh, and that helped get a little bit of attention but also added credibility to what we were doing and why we were doing it. So I definitely want to touch on the, uh, the campaign because uh, it's, you know, it's excellent. But um, tell me about the sort of the initial testing. What was the market, because what was the market telling you uh, when you went out there and started putting it out to the consumers? What were you finding they were reacting to? Uh, from a marketing perspective, and what were they just not reacting to? Yeah, so we basically had 100 people to close beta site. It was basically family and friends of myself, colleagues who were working with me, the developers, and all that sort of stuff. So we got 100 people in there of various levels of financial literacy, if I can use that term. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and we just watched what they did and how they worked. And you can use things like heat mapping software. It's amazing when people read stuff online, they move their mouse to it. Yeah. Uh, you can really see where they're focusing their time and you can see where the blockages are. Yeah. Uh, and we discovered a couple. You've got to make it, the visuals have to be very, very easy to digest. Yeah. But also a story. Um, and then for the more analytically minded, you've got to have the background information for them to really dig deep uh, okay. if they want. And that's probably only a third of the people who use the site really dig deeper into the, the detailed information we've got. So two thirds of people are skimming. Yeah, well, look, if, if we're honest, most people don't read a statement of advice. And if we're really honest, a lot of advisors don't even read them either. Um, so they're looking at the graphical representation of this is your situation, this is the advice we give, and the graph shows it. And that's in each sort of goal we've got then. So we then started to break things down instead of it being a complete full plan, we allowed people to choose the goals that they want. So they chose their own ventures, so to speak. They chose yeah. the goals just to them. So the message we got is putting them back into control um, of the actual process. And then it's a continual process of streamlining the user interface. And November, to probably December time, we'll be launching a new streamlined even further uh, user interface and a much more streamlined, user-friendly sort of onboarding process uh, for new clients. But we... We launched the research then, and then we sort of went a bit more public in January this year. Yeah. Um, and our goal then was basically to say, well, look, I don't have deep pockets. I can't go out there and market to individual consumers like the guys in the US have. You know, they go and get their $10, $20 million because they've got a good idea and off they go. And even they're sort of moving away from it. Yeah, and, and so we said, well, look, we need to go down the path of working with the main actors within this industry at the moment who can actually help clients and we can get in front of them but we can also help them to do more. Um, so we work with employers. I'll come back to why we work with employers. Um, industry funds or any sort of super fund and then advisory firms and we offer white labeling solutions to those last two to enable them to scale their advice beyond the limitation of man hours. But then from our research we developed a financial fitness index mm -hmm. which scored the average Aussie worker at 114 out of 200. Yeah. That mean? Basically, if the average Aussie worker went got made redundant today or, or lost a job today, in three weeks they were going to debt just to put food on the table. So not very financially healthy at all. What we did then for our social media, so look, for us to go to those B2B guys, we've got to have a good quantum of people using this to show them that, hey, there's a product market fit here, people are sure. using it, they like it. So how do we go about that? We basically used what I would call immersive content. And through social media, we basically said to people, what's your financial fitness score? Mm. Compare yourself to the average Aussie. Most people yeah. like to be able to compare themselves. No one's going to share their score with the general public, yeah. but they'll share the application that lets their mates find out what their score is. Okay. Um, so we basically, in the first 30 days, we're spending 20 bucks a month. We got those stats that you spoke about. We did it for two more months after that. And we ended up with about 25,000 hits, 20% of those signed up. Right. And a third of those build a full plan. Um, and those numbers have escalated a little bit more. We've slowed down in our marketing at the moment because we're focusing much more on the B2B side rather than the consumer side. So that's about roughly 1,500 signups over the course of 25,000 hits. Yeah, well, we had 5,000 signups, but 1,500 of them have built a full plan. Okay. So definitely, yeah. definitely a market fit there. Yeah, which um, you know made us confident to go out and get some more investment. And that's when we went out and started building up a bit of an advisory board and then attracting the right type of investors who 
almost attract other investors because they're there. Your shareholder list looks looks a lot better. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. Finding those kind of guys to build that momentum. I saw uh, I saw a presentation in uh, the US from a business called Levanto, and they quoted a similar sort of number: thirty-five percent of high-income earners in America would uh, would not be able to survive a financial shock of a thousand dollars or more, and that's that's pretty full on. Uh, and they actually had an acronym for it, which I loved. It was called Henry's, which is high earners not yet rich, not rich yet. Well, it's the same stat: thirty-four percent of working Australians that we surveyed. Can only access a thousand dollars or less before they go before, without going to debt. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. You know what I mean, hey, I got a question from uh, Justin, and it's a really good one. Which is, uh, now as an advisor, what's to stop you put something out like this? Uh, they kind of they're working with you, and suddenly they see something like Map My Plan, and they decide to you know go into Map My Plan instead. Have you have you thought about that? Have you had that experience of yeah? Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so what you're saying here is, is an advisor's there and they, they use Map My Plan instead of going with the advisor. Or they're with an advisor. Yeah. Advisor, advisory business launches Map My Plan and then suddenly they go, thanks, I don't want to pay your fee, I'll use this instead. Yeah, well, we only focus on the strategic advice. We don't actually talk about this is your investment makeup, this is the asset allocations you should have. So if you're talking with a client who needs that sort of advice, uh, which is what most of the clients are that advisors are, are advising. There's also an investment component. We don't touch on that. We only give advice around product class. We mm -hmm. don't give advice over this super fund's better than this one. It's more about this is how you effectively use your super fund. And you know, if you want to consolidate your super funds, you shouldn't have any more than three. Like you know, if you've got a defined benefit keeper, you might have an old super fund with lots of insurance, and your current employer might be giving money, might be giving extra money if you use that super fund. So you shouldn't yeah. have any more. Than three. So we're talking about consolidation. But let's think about it. Most of us say we're pretty busy. That's just a pseudonym for, you know what, I'm too lazy. I don't want to do this myself. Yeah? So people inherently are going to want someone to help them in, to implement this. We don't do that. We give them the information to implement themselves, but they need to work with an advisor to do that uh, going forward. So it's, it's almost where the, the, the firms that are using this who then white label it, they go to their clients where they can't, they can't meet the metrics of of having to, to pay the fees, but they need the advice. So the advisor says, look, let me act as your guardian angel. Use this system, the Map My Plan form, and, and it'll be white labeled to underneath their brand and everything else. Yeah. Um, but then they can act as a guardian angel and practically contact them when they meet certain metrics, which they yeah. set for us, so we give an alert and a report that goes back to them. So it's really an ability to engage those clients and come back in and reintroduce that face-to-face -face service when it's more appropriate for those individuals. Absolutely. It's almost like a, like it's self-serving at the top of the funnel, and then when it gets hard or they don't have time, I mean, it's like the 401k when they introduced that in the US. It's a really good case study. 401k was a tax uh, loophole they found in the US. I, I, I think it was the late 80s or early 90s, and most advisors were like, oh my God, now people are gonna be able to do this by themselves, and it had the opposite effect. People had yeah. a crack at it, they realized that the basics were, were fine, but the complicated end of it, they were just like, I don't want to do it. And suddenly yep. it led to an increase in the interest in advice and, and we all know what happened next. Exactly. And then those individuals feel more confident to go and advise it because it's no longer intimidating because they've learned stuff, but they've learned it in the context of their own situation, which built, because financial literacy is great, but it misses that one key ingredient being context. Absolutely. And until someone's getting, is contextualized to their circumstance and their goals, the value of it is, is pretty minimal. It's like um, 
Like in, I, I give it back to what I do, coaching. You know, we've got the, we've got a member site, which has got a whole bunch of stuff. But if I just turn around and drop dumped every piece of information on my clients that they, they need at that point in time, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be useful. It's about the right information at the right time until the, uh, the requirements elevate. Uh, who regulates the appropriateness of the strategic advice Matt my plan generates for the client? Because I know you've had some fun with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have just finished, and I slightly smile, more relief, in um, attaining our own AFSL. We've got that now, which is provisional, so we're just giving the last bit of paperwork and a bit of PI covenantal stuff, so that'll be officially launched um, in a week or two. Um, so we are regulated by, by ASIC. Um, and the advice that we give in the algorithms, it's we've all gone through the textbooks, yeah, and and how we, we go through it all. So it's, it's built basically around the allocation of capital and, and what's the most sensible thing. Like The system's even got warnings. If, if someone's got a five grand credit card debt, they go on there and try and salary sacrifice to superannuation. A warning comes up and says, hang on, that's probably not the smartest thing. You've got a 21% debt over there. How about we pay that off first? Yeah. Come back and do that, yeah? But like any advisor, the old analogy, you can lead a horse to water if you can't make a drink. Uh, it really is in that sort of process whereby you know, you can give them all the advice, but it's the client's decision in the end. Um, so it's just giving them that guiding hand. So if you just look at the, you know, all the, the textbooks, the teachings of, of financial planning, that's what's, that's what's behind our, our algorithms and our... Uh, I, I hope I've answered that question, if that makes sense. I think so. Like, I was more interested, because I know you've had some, some battles. I think one of the stories you told me, am I allowed to tell this one about the SOA every time you make a change? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, in discussions with ASIC, I know Paul was like batting up against some, some thinking which was pretty established from you know, a more manual world. And one of the things they turned around and said is every time a client made a change on the system, you know, you'd have to issue a new SOA. And Paul's response was, do you know how many changes on average clients make to when they're playing around with that? And I think it was like 20 or 30 or whatever. Yep. So there's been a process of actually educating them around, okay, this is a different world. And you need to start thinking slightly differently when, you know, about, not about what clients are doing, but about the mechanisms that are in place to make sure they don't act on things which are stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And the system generates an SOA and a client can generate a new SOA whenever they want um, as well. But the nice thing for us is that it's, a, it's an 11 to 12 page SOA because there's no product, specific product advice in there. Right. That makes it a bit more user friendly and everything else. So we just just focusing on that strategic advice and then the advisor picks up from there. Um, and does that include ROAs or are they not relevant in your world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's technically, it's an ROA. Um, okay. They want to call it an SOA, so I'll call it what they want. Uh, one thing I did want to ask, because a client of mine is, is deeply in the corporate space. And as we all know, there's some changes going on to the way that corporate uh, sort of plans are being managed and some of the cost in there, which means a lot of these businesses are having to go back and engage corporates with a really strong proposition to say you guys should pay for this um, because it's, it's the right thing to do for your clients. What's your view on, you know, a proposition to corporates in, uh, in the kind of world we're in now? Yeah, once again, I go back to my research. I'm a big data-driven guy. Yeah. Uh, and we looked at all those financial pain points. 48% of working strands are financially stressed. 23% stay awake at night as all of the finances. And there's many more. Um, and our hypothesis before the research was done was that financial stress has to have an impact on the workplace. So we put a dollar value in terms of just lost salary as a result of that time. 
and financial stress costs every employer $5,202 a year per employee, regardless of their seniority or not. $5,202. Um, yep, dollars okay. in lost salary because they're not focusing on their work, they're focusing on their personal financial issues because they're under financial stress. So we've all got ergonomic chairs in the office and gym memberships and those sort of things. Man up so, yeah, we, we put it to them that let's do something better and greater for your employees. Let's help them with their financial well-being. But the great thing for the employer as well is there's a productivity uplift in doing this. Okay. Uh, so they spend more time at work rather than focus on finances. We're at stages right now with um, a large corporate with over 5,000 employees looking at rolling this out for all of their employees as a financial well-being program. Mm -hmm. uh, so that shouldn't be too far away. Yep. So when you advisors who go to corporates and say, yeah, look, we can help. You've got a very forward-thinking senior management team who want to make sure their employees are, are well advised. At the moment with your traditional service, it's hard to put your hand on your heart and say you can give advice to every single member of their staff. Mm. So what we've got here is a hybrid uh, whereby every member of the staff gets the, the online tool, mm -hmm. but then the advisor comes in and says to, and basically goes, well, these individuals here meet certain criteria. We know we can put a hand on our heart and know that the fees we charge, the value is well in excess of those. Mm -hmm. Back end of Map My Plan, when it's white labeled, um, enables people to look at it and say, okay, well, we've got five key metrics. So whenever any of their clients who use Map My Plan start to meet those metrics, well, they'll get an automated report saying, well, these are the people that you know you can help. You probably should proactively contact them again. Here they are. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, does that answer the question you're, you're after there about the corporate? It does. I'm, I'm really interested in how, obviously you've had some success with the proposition with the, the large corporate. I mean, is it, when you sit down and you talk to the, I'm assuming it's HR department you're mainly speaking to? No, I'm talking to senior management. Um, okay. Who, and you drop that proposition. Productivity and all that sort of stuff. So it's you the hard part. <laughs> so you've got the proposition on the table, which is, you know, previously this has been something that we've had a partnership. It's free. Now I want you to pay for it, but... Here's, the, you know, here's, here's why you should do it. It's getting, it's getting cut through. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because you can put some context around, well, there's a productivity problem here you're probably not even aware of. Um, and the best way to solve it is for someone to have a plan. And we, in our research as well, I mean, most people go to our website and our homepage and download the research paper. Yeah. But it highlights the value of someone actually having a comprehensive plan to decrease in their stress. You're... You're four times stressed if you don't have a plan at all as opposed to someone who's got a comprehensive plan. Oh, look, I'm, I totally understand that. I mean, I've spoken to people when they're getting home loans or refinancing, and invariably it's in the workplace that they're sitting on the phone trying to apply, do the applications. It's just the way it's, uh, it, yeah, it works. I agree. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to touch on a couple of things. When did you know that this was, it was happening? What was the moment when you go, okay, this, this is taking off? Yeah, I think when we... We got over 5,000 people using our online tools and stuff. Um, just one of those, it seems like a bit of an identity metrics, but then we're starting to see those people starting to introduce Map My Plan to others. And that's when, that's when it started to happen. It's, and we're not quite there yet where the actual users become your marketing engine. Um, and I won't know that until I look backwards, uh, but that's when, that'll be the tipping point for this business. Yeah, uh, when those users go there. It's, and the other one is, when we're going out and talking to those three groups, the paying clients, the B2B guys, and we've got, we've got traction with them and there's real interest. That's yeah. when it's like, okay, we're onto this now. Um, Perfect. Now it's just getting them locked away. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about uh, where you're at now. Tell, okay. First of all, tell me about the advisory board because 
I like I the I personally think the value of a mentor is just off the charts, and uh, you know I've been reaching out to a lot of people to to try and make that connection. But you have put together a pretty impressive advisory board. I mean, you've got I'm not going to go off name by name, but you've got people who've got significant investments in startups. You've got Bernie Ripoldi. I mentioned the name. Uh, you've got some serious heavy hitters. I mean, what are you doing? Paying them in 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 blood or what's the deal? <laughs> no, it's um. I think most people, it's you talk to them about the vision you've got and you show the passion that you've got for things, and then you just put it as a, a proposition. Say, look, I need help from someone like you because you can add value in this way, <laughs> um, and I'm aligned to your style of thinking because you've seen things I've written on social media or LinkedIn or whatever it may be. You go to someone like Bernie Ripoll and he's a labor guy, he's respected on both sides of the political fence because when he was in charge of that ultimately named Ripo report. And he told me he managed that because he called the report a 14 page, a 14 word name. So it's, everyone just shortened a Ripo report for him, uh, which was good for him, I suppose. It was but, excellent for him. Like, that's how he pretty much entered the uh, public consciousness. Yeah, but for someone like him, it's basically, you look at the work that he's done and he's been an advocate for financial advice. He's saying, look, out in the marketplace, we've at least got a perception that there's a problem here. How do we go about fixing it? Yeah. And he's passionate about making sure that advice is relevant and available to as many people as possible. Mm. So when you match that desire to what I'm doing, it's a natural fit. Um, yeah, so he gets he gets paid for his time uh, when we're there. And he basically helps us open doors, uh, as you'd imagine he would. Um, another large investor, and getting the right investors is a tough one. Yeah. I've got a who was an ex-managing partner uh, for an office of PwC. Um, I've got a a very senior person from AMP is an investor and a prolific angel investor is invested in 50 different companies. Okay. He's the sort of investor when he invests, other people follow uh, because it lets them know that he's in there. It adds credibility to your shareholder list as well. But he also is able to sit down and say, Paul, I've seen this stage with so many other startups. Don't go down that path. You've got to go this way for these reasons. Um, so it helps a great deal on, on conserving your cash more than anything else and, and, not, and conserving your time. Um, but yeah, they're good and it's, it's still a fairly informal process. I speak to them, you know, at least um, two or three times a week, some of them daily. Um, but the process will get more, more and more formal as time goes on. So if, if someone out there is listening and going, yeah, do you know what, I, I'd like to grab somebody with that kind of heavyweight who's, you know, thinking about this stuff or, is, or is, has, has, has ridden the path before, you know, where would you start? Um, when I came back in 2005 from 11 years overseas, I didn't have a network at all. Yeah. Um, and so everyone loves to give advice. Everyone loves the ego stroke when they say, look, I'm doing this. I want some advice. I reached out to PwC partners. I had a really big client. I said, look, I've got a client who's looking for advice. I want to understand what you guys do because I have other clients like this and which ones I should refer to. Mm. And they said, yeah, sure, come in and have a chat. And it just built from there um, and building that network in that way. And it's, it's identifying the people you think those sort of people that be valuable. Look at their commentary. Look at their the way they look at things and think about things in your business. Yeah. Um, find the one where there's an, an obvious match. Um, for me, the obvious obvious one is you're running. These guys are running businesses now as advisors and so forth. You've got some senior people in your advisory book already. Yeah. Go to them. Ask them for help, or even ask them to introduce you to others that you want to get in there with. But I have no doubt everyone's got at least one person on their book who's had some brilliant corporate experience who would be great just to say, you know what, informally I'd love to take you to lunch once a month and just tell you what I'm doing to mm. get, get a hand. 
I think the other advice I was given along the way is when you, when you do get in front of someone like this, make sure you've thought really clearly about what the question you want to ask. Just don't go in there with some vague, hey, how do I grow my business? You want to go really specific and say, what do you, don't leave with, you know, this is what I think, but what do you think about this? And allow them to have that sort of context. Because I think uh, if you sort of, if you leave with that sort of stuff, it's, it, you, get, you kind of get more of an answer that you want. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hey, you want to be respectful of the time, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about social media because you seem to be uh, rather good at this, Mr. Feeney. Yeah, I, I get people to help me with it for sure. And the yeah. digital agent gives me a hand. I have um, a friend who's a copywriter and stuff runs her own business. She's on a very small retainer to help me with stuff. But we basically divide down and say, okay, what, are we, what sort of voice do we want to have? What sort of tone do we want to have? What are things that we actually want to talk about? What do we want to promote? Um, and then, then based on that little narrow area we then react to other people on social media or news articles or whatever it may be but it's it's pushing out it's not really thought leadership it's more conversation starters is what you want to try and do um and the research once again that we did last year keep harping back on this but it's been i've been able to leverage it so much it wasn't a cheap exercise but it's helped a great deal and just pulling out little vignettes from that and pushing that out um, we started a little 30-day financial fitness challenge, which people sign up online. We've had 2,000 people sign up to that. Yeah. Um, and every day they get a little financial tip. They just helps them understand where their finances are and how they may be able to save money, just to challenge their thinking a little bit. And so in social media, we take one of those tips and put it out there. Um, I paid 10 bucks a day on, on Facebook to try and promote those ones. Yeah, and another one, we had organic sort of stuff that we just make commentary and everything else. So it's... It's trial and error, um, but it takes a while. We've been doing social media stuff now for nine months, and you just got to build up momentum. It slowly but surely builds up. So, what do you reckon are the three? I'm probably putting you on the spot about the three biggest mistakes advisors make when they're, they're digitally marketing their businesses, whether it's websites, whether it's social media, whether it's downloadable content. What do you think are the three things that, if they just switched across, they'd get better results? You got to start from why you're doing it. Now, what does a successful campaign for you look like? For me, it's getting people to sign up to an online tool or online service that we've got. And it's just an email address and away you go because now you've formed a relationship with someone. Yeah? And it's now they're moving them through the process. Once they're there, you can now, you've now got a right to keep on communicating to them until they opt out, obviously. Yeah. Um, so you've got to start with that. You've got to get that right. You don't just put stuff out there for the sake of it. Yeah. You know, you've got to think about what your personality is and what your tone is and what your your messaging is going to be and stay true to that. You can pivot later and change it and all that sort of stuff, but you're not all over the place. That just confuses people. So pick pick three or four hot buttons and just go with those. Maybe you're an advisor who focuses on expats. Right. Okay, yeah. well, let's look at all those issues and start. It's almost like you're paying it forward. You're giving information and tips and help to people for free. If you're, edu- if you're the person educating someone, you're more likely going to be at the table when a life event happens when they need your service. And totally. If you're not educating them, there's no way you're going to be at the table. It doesn't guarantee you get the business, but at least you're in their subconscious somewhere about what you're doing. I think Tim Ferriss says, play the long game. Yeah, you have yeah, to. Play the short game. And that the art and the, the art luck, I suppose, more than anything else, is how do you get stuff that's shareable? That's, that's the holy grail, yeah? People yeah. try and go. Well, the viral that's thing? Yeah, it's... And you don't know until it's happened. I mean, anyone tells you this is going to go viral and predicts it right is, is you know, speaking through the wrong... Uh, yeah. Wrong cool. Um, so, what's the best thing you've discovered about Map My Plan along the way? 
Yeah, um, the journey for me has been a lot more fulfilling than I thought it would be. Um, yeah. You said at the start, if you're in financial planning, if you're not there because you actually genuinely want to help people, then it's not the role for you. Do you know what I mean? I, I genuinely want to give advice, give access to advice to as many people as possible. Because uh, when you do, the economy is going to be better. If we can take, you know, as a pool of advisors, if we manage to make credit card debt be a lot lower in this country, everything's going to be a lot better, isn't it? Um, but the best part is when you get someone who's using it and sends you an email out of the blue that basically says, hey, I'm liking this. This is great. I enjoy it. The email comes directly to me. I write back to them and say, thanks for taking the time. Um, I've got pretty thick skin. Tell me what else you, tell me what you don't like and tell me what you'd like to add to it. Um, and it's those comments I get back that make it a lot better. It's that what don't you like is the more important question, isn't it? Yeah. And what do you wish we had that we don't have? Um, and that's what enables us to stay engaged with people. And I look back and I can see every single one of those people I've responded to, they've introduced at least one person to sign up to map my plan. Really? So there's a one-to-one? Yeah, at least one. Some of them a lot more. Okay, so wow. I write an email back to most. I haven't found one yet who hasn't. Because you can, all the back-end system, you can see how people arrive and all that sort of stuff. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And someone shares a link to someone else you know that's been shared and all that sort of stuff. Have you, have you got any data around the proportion of users who are moving to the system and then going on to, to get advice? Or is that something that's, that's sort of the next phase? Yeah, I don't have that as yet. But... Um, what we do have is we, we know how far progressed people are in building their plan or what level they're at and all that sort of stuff. And eventually the system says, look, your financial health, everything's on target. You should go and see an advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't built any formal relationships with firms that would take on those referrals. If someone really wants um, email advice, then we've got the capacity in-house still at this moment uh, to, to offer that to them, but they got to pay a little bit more for that. Yeah. Um, but it's something that we look at. But at the moment, we're really focusing on, well, let's work with advisors who, who want to use this tool as a, an engagement tool. Yeah. Uh, and all those clients obviously go directly back to them. The system feeds any inquiry straight back to that advisor rather than through us. Because that's not what you're interested in, right? Um, but eventually when clients say to us, hey, I'd love to get a referral, it's like, okay, well, then we'll find a way to do that. It might yeah. be a postcode thing or it might be, you know, there's sites like advisor ratings or whatever it may be. I'm not saying we'll use those, but something yeah. like that. It may form into there, or we start building relationships with specific advisors in different parts of, of the country. Uh, I don't know which part it's going to take yet. Okay. Peter Jacob asks, uh, fair enough, <laughs> many tech ideas promise that they work, and they, but they often have tech issues that, uh, which he's experienced and he finds really frustrating. He wants to know how can be confident the MacMind plan is stable and reliable and does what it promises. Yep. Um, first way is go and have a crack at it. Have a try. Um, shoot me an email, tell me what you think. I've got thick skin, seriously, I want to make it better. Um, that's a very thick skin. <laughs> the, um, the, the other stuff on, I'm extremely confident that the advice that we give is sensible and reliable and, and, and that actually works. On the actual technical part of it, we use Amazon Web Services. We've signed up to an ability where, out of my control, it's just purely set up, the more hits we get, the more AWS, um, bills I get, um, so it just escalates uh, quickly. Yeah. Um, so it scales that way all the time, and we've got redundancy uh, threads across the levels. AWS was out a couple of months ago. You may have seen that in the news in Australia. Um, it didn't affect us at all because because we went to the higher level of AWS uh, okay. services and stuff. So it's pretty pretty back up. Yeah. Full. Beyond that, you know, the shit happens sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, it does. I mean, like, 
the census website is probably the, the worst example of it. But uh, I mean, generally speaking, unless you get an influx of thousands, thousands of clients at a time, they're generally you built to last, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, we have a, we basically test the system. We've got a, a software in the back end that continually, you know what happened to the, the DNS stuff on the, um, the, um, the census sort of thing. So we've got a system in the back end that continually, every week, attacks our site. And we get reports immediately saying that you're vulnerable here, and then it's all tools down, fix that. Um, so that's continually running in the background. And for the big firm that we're talking about now, one of the one of the banks, they got one of the banks to go through and look at all the due diligence on our site, from the technical issues, from the actual planning issues, from the legal issues, lots of stuff. And they came back and said, well, you need to change this and change that. We did yeah. that, passed the flying colours now, and, and we're continuing conversation there. See, this is what struck me in speaking to you. This is not a, you're not knocked this up in the back of your garage. There is a whole bunch of structure underneath it and there's your advisory board. It's uh, you've, you spent a bit of money on this, Paul, I must admit, which is, impre- which yeah. I guess is, is interesting because there's a lot of people out there who have the idea and there's even people out there who have more than an idea. They're actually going out and they're validating it in a manual way, but the funding's hard. I mean, where do you yeah. go? You got, you know, what's the first port of call? Do you go to Blue Chili? Do you go to friends, friends, family? Friends, family and fools, they say. Yeah, that's yeah. what they call it, the four Fs. <laughs> Um, yeah, so a bit for myself. Um, I was lucky enough to have sold a business uh, in 2014, so that helped me get it underway. Yeah. And those are like the fact that I've put money in. That yeah. helps a great deal. And it doesn't mean to say you can't get investors without that. It just means you've got to give up more. Um, but, you know, the way I look at it is that I'd rather own 10% of worth something 20 times bigger than 100% of something with nothing. Yeah. And this is something I've, I've been met. Like a lot of people I speak to who are in the startup world, they're saying... Just accept the fact that you're going to have to give up part of your company to get the right people, but understand that you have to get the right people. Not just anyone, you've got to get people with skills who are going to add something beyond just money because yeah. it's the whole Shark Tank thing. I mean, yeah. we all watch Shark Tank and we see the guy out there and he's like, oh, should I give up 20%? And he's sitting there going, dude, he's done this before. Yeah. Take Do his hand, you. smile and move <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Ruben asked a question. I think uh, I really want to get it answered because it's a really great. Ruben's... Ruben always asks great questions. He said, uh, one issue he thinks of is where clients are used to paying very low monthly fees online. Is it not going to be difficult to migrate into a higher fee value face-to-face and traditional value model? And he says like, you know, the whole online travel booking and then going on to a travel agent. What's, it's a great question. What's your views, Paul? Yeah, look, um, let's just face it. Face-to-face service for financial planners costs a certain minimum amount of money, yeah? We're never going, it's never going to be appropriate for every single person in this country, yeah, at this point in time. Yeah. But if you look now at the younger demographics, so, you're, you know, your mid-20s through to your, through to your, your high 30s, yeah. um, they're the people who are the most financial stress, yeah? You want to start engaging with these guys now, and, yeah, they're not going to be wanting to pay a lot of money. But using the system that we have, that you have they have an ability to reach out to you uh, yeah. by email and reach out to them, and you can start that process. You can guarantee that people who are engaged in the Map My Plan sort of platform are more disposed to eventually using a financial plan. And eventually when that life event happens and that tsunami of wealth transfers there, that's when they're going to see, okay, now I actually do need help and I can pay for it and I can see some significant value by doing that. Because there's always going to be DIY people, but most of us don't have the time or inclination to do it ourselves. Yeah. A big thing that we used to say when I was working at Credit Suisse as a private banker, we're essentially personal assistance for very wealthy people. Yeah. We give them time back and we give them assurance that things aren't going to blow up. 
We're not there to make more money. They've made it. They can make more elsewhere. We're here to make sure it doesn't fall over. Um, so in that sort of breath with those clients, what you're doing is you then come in and you give an even wider perspective than what that my plan does and you help them that way. So it's, it's all about positioning it when you introduce that service to them. It's, hey, I want you to have advice. I want you to start on the path and I'm here to hold your hand when your financial fitness comes up to a good enough level. But the meantime... I think that's like there's you'd know all about something called an ascending transaction model in the online world, which is you have various different things at various different price points. I think you can overdo it, but whenever we talk about that, it's you know, there's a big gap between uh, at the moment, you know, the, the advice piece and everybody else. And the problem is to quote Richard Arnold, who we who I met in the US, he said, People don't understand that Silicon Valley software is aiming to eat our world, and therefore. Yeah. The only way to do that is we've got to get further up the chain and make a relationship with these people at a lower price point earlier. The clearest example I can think about is, you know, what is the point of an iPhone? And the actual reality of an iPhone, is it's there to sell your MacBook. Because Apple has the data that says they know that, I think it's three or five years after buying an iPhone, something like 40% of people will buy a MacBook. And they have that ascending transaction model in place. Yeah. And I yeah. think that the opportunity there is to industrialize the flow of clients from, you know, that period of life where they're not making smart decisions because they're millennials and yeah. acorns, things like that are putting it in place. It's such an opportunity. I was going to say, if the users are going through and using our system, a lot of it's a process of self-discovery, even down in the protection goal. And we try and use the word protection rather than insurance, but we take people through and they, they then understand why they need say 600 grand of life cover, you know, for all the metrics that we all use. They've even got that and their superannuation they put in only gives them 300 grand. Mm. So, well, they now know they need help. We yeah. give them the information to be able to go and do it themselves, but more often than not, they're going to go to someone and reach out to someone. You want totally. to be that reach out. And, and then it's down to your charging model on, on, on how you make that easy enough for that person to, to complete that advice and that transaction. It's, it's, for me, it's the same reason that gyms have personal trainers because they know that some people will do it and some people will reach a point where they're like, this isn't working for me. I need to talk to someone and find out what I'm doing wrong. And that's, yeah, I mean, you've seen what the market's done with personal trainers. You know, what does the ideal planning business format my plan look like? You know, who's going to benefit the most? Is it, client, is it those with 100 clients, those with 1,000 clients, those with one planner, lots of planners? Yeah, look, it's, it's probably not a, a pure numbers thing. It's, it's the type of clients, I suppose. The most, and I'll talk about the ones that are talking to me now. Um, and they come into three different parts. You've got ones that may have a long tail of underserviced clients. Maybe they're just a, a long book that is just transactional only, um, where they're not full service, but you've still got an engagement with them. It's a means of re-engaging with those types of clients. Mm -hmm. And what happens there is that you'll find those dozen needles in the haystack who end up being face-to-face -face traditional clients by using that service because of the way that it works. And you can gather the data and use that. Um, the other one is where where advisors look after corporate superannuation books. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know the rules are changing July 1, whereby you can no longer just give advice to the corporate. You've actually got to give advice and a real service to the individual as well to maintain that income stream. This provides that solution there. Yeah. Um, and the other one is where advisors work with corporates themselves and say, look, I want to give advice to your firm. You've got a good executive who's, who's keen for that. It's now a good hybrid model to allow them to do that. Um, but then even once we've got just a book, purely and simply of high value, um, clients at a high touch, well now Map My Plan actually becomes their living strategic plan. Yeah, It doesn't replace what you're doing, it's more like they can go along there and get the stuff 
get some information, update their update their information, however, which flows back into your internal system. So, yeah, it's it, it's not really about the number of clients. It's it's about the sort of activities you do with your clients. So, what's your next steps, Paul? What's uh, where are you headed from here on in? Yeah, we're basically two and a half, three months ago, we went out there with the white label solution. So we're out there talking to advisors, um, to the industry funds, and to, to corporates. We uh, probably by the end of the year we will relaunch the site with a much crisper and easier to navigate dashboard, but also an even better onboarding process. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to ask five key questions. I won't tell you what they are at the moment, but five key questions. People answer those just yes or no, or an option from one of four. And then we pre-populate a dashboard based on those answers. Um, and then they start the process there. Um, and just making it a lot easier to use. Ultimately, a long, big, head, hairy, audacious goal, if you want to call it that. Um, Mamo Planner wanted to be in the top 10, if not top five, financial planning firms in the country. Yeah. Not based on number of advisors, not based on AUM, but based on the number of people we're helping. Yeah. I can't do that without working with those three, with advisors, with super funds, and with... Um, with employers. Which is where I think, I know we've spoken about it, but I think a lot of robo-advice platforms went out with the attitude that they were going to destroy the distribution networks. And I think in our discussion, that's just not been your approach. It's been, you know, there's a role, there's a huge role for advisors to play. And it's not about getting rid of advisors. It's about making it easier for clients to engage when when they reach that point in in needing, you know, face-to-face help. Yeah. What do, you, what do you see as being the next big opportunity? I mean, like we talk about road advice, we talk about outsourcing, you know, a year, two years from now, what do you think we'll be talking about is the, is the other big things? Um, in the financial services, wealth management sort of area? Yeah. I, I think finally we'll get those personal financial management tools that do your account scraping. The actual categorization will finally work because uh, right now if you use one, it creates a lot of work for yourself. Yeah. When that happens, that's going to make financial planning and wealth management is going to go into a different area whereby it's no longer once or twice that you see a planner. It's a daily or a weekly activity where you're getting push notifications about just a friendly little nudge to move here or there. And that's when I think technology can help us move towards a situation where we start really reinforcing good behavior. Because mm. um, that's what we're trying to do. You know, give it a bad behavior and reinforce good behaviors. Um, that'll be exciting to be able to do that sort of stuff. Um, and... The great thing about that in two years' time is going to be something completely different that we're not even going to think about right now. It's It'll be left yeah. there. Like I was uh, talking to Personal Capital uh, last week in the States and they have, a, they have a, I think I mentioned this, they have a algorithm that runs in the background and runs what-if scenarios. And then yeah, yeah. it turns it into a marketing tool and emails clients, you know, saying, did you know that if you save five bucks a month extra, it would do this? Or if you switched across to that, you'd save this much tax? And that's how it's happening in automation. And that's so exciting. Yeah, and artificial intelligence is something that's going to be huge. And I'm already looking at how we can use that with the Map My Plan, whereby when someone wants to start asking questions, um, it's not me or an advisor answering. It's the basic questions just being answered by an artificial intelligence robot um, yeah. on there and starts educating and holding people's hands a bit further. And all we're doing is building people up to that value chain where it's like, well, your most obvious next step now is to go and see someone. Absolutely. You're, I mean, Rich Arnold was one of the presenters. He made the point. He was saying, well, what if in 20 years' time it's not an advisor and a client, it's a client, an advisor's digital avatar advising yeah. a client's digital avatar. And, you know, we talk, I talk to a lot of advisors about freeing themselves up from having to work these long hours and leverage their expertise and their knowledge and their systems 
that's super exciting. I think financial well-being in the workplace in Australia, it's just starting to gather momentum. I think it's going to be in the front of consciousness for a lot of people. And then in, say, in 12 months' time, it'll be just part of the everyday lexicon, I think. I uh, had this conversation with Hightower Advisors in the US, largest independent advice firm, and that is the marketing angle they're going after. Uh, yeah. They have got millions into marketing. So if they turn around and saying it's all about personal well-being and financial role in that, you've got to pay attention to it because it's not yeah. just it's not just a marketing agency going, we, we think it's this. It's, yeah. it's, it's our main focus as well. Hey, um, really important thing. You know, how can people find out more about you and what you're doing? What's the best way to find out, you know, learn more about what you're working on? Yeah, get online, sign up an account. It's free at the moment. We're going to make it free for the first 10,000 users. Um, after that, it'll be a bit of a paywall. So you can get online, have a play. Um, send me an email, pfeeney at mapmoplan.com. Um, and engage. I'd love to sit down and explore ways that we can collaborate. I think uh, Justin Highland's already turned around and said, would you come to, to him with him to pitch to a huge corporate where he knows his senior manager? Sure. There you go. Tell Just me when and when. Done. Link together. Uh, and one final question before I just pick any other questions we've got because we've run a little bit over. Um, what's the one thing that off the back of this webinar, you'd love to see you know, the advisors, the accountants, the brokers who are on the line do more of, or, or even start doing? Well, um, I don't know, there's so many things they're doing already, yeah? It's, it's a tough one to ask people to, to do a bit more. But one thing I'd love to be able to do is, I'd love to get feedback on what you think on that my plan and what you think we should actually do better. Uh, I, what you hate and what you like about it, what you wish we, we actually had. Because from that, well, actually discover better ways to develop our service and better ways to engage with advisors and lots of stuff. Because it's, if we're all about the helping more people, then it's, it's going to make everyone's job a lot better. Nice. Mark sort of asked the question earlier about um, conversion rate of corporate employees. What percentage of them are taking up the offer of the free map my plan when it's promoted? My guess is it's probably really early days in the data, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's too early to go that. We've only, we're basically, we've got four corporates at the moment we're talking to. They're all at the contract stage and just customising a little bit here and there because we add in stuff about, hey, are you aware that as an employee of XYZ, you get life and income protection insurance? Email HR here. So we add that sort of stuff in. Um, but we've got a plan already on how to get these guys engaged. I mean, the majority of firm, professional service firms, anyway, the, the average age of employees is, is 30 or younger of mm -hmm. uh, the workforce. And when you actually send an email from the CEO asking them to do this, mm. those people are going to do it. <laughs> uh, and our back-end system tells us when emails are delivered, when they're opened, when the link is clicked. So we know the stats of engagement from that sort of level. And, and as a result, if someone opens it but doesn't click on it, well, they get an email again three days later. If they click on it but don't activate it, they get an email, a different email three days later. Yeah. So you keep that way. So it's the automated yeah. stuff. Look, I, I, I think that's most... Lars Hutner has again has said he's going to be in contact. The email is pfeeny, P two e's, one n, e-y. F-double-e-n-e-y, yeah at mapmyplan.com.au. But uh, Paul, thank you so much for sharing. I think ever since we sat together in February and started talking about this stuff, I've, I've, I've been super impressed by two things. Firstly, how, how you're thinking just is yeah. totally um, mirroring what's going on in the States and beyond. But I think it's, it's, it's hard not to be impressed by how you just grabbed it, run with it, and, and done it. And done it in a way that hasn't been all about, you know, create the, 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 the hype around it, but rather here's a product. And, um, if, if anything comes out of this webinar, it's um, to have advisors go and check out what you've done, you know, critique it and maybe inspire someone to, to, to really recognize that there's opportunities. And to be honest, I know there's a lot of advisors on the line here are already thinking the way you are, which is 
go go there with something that's uh, that allows clients to self service and reach a point where they they tip and they go actually I'm I'm going to start taking this more seriously than I, than I have been. Yeah, yeah, it's what we're after. It's good. Imagine so to go engage with those the technology. Yeah, I love it. I'd love to what, doing what I'm doing. I love being in the financial advice sort of um, area, and as I think everyone online does as well. And it's just finding a better and more efficient way to service even more and more clients. Um, that's what's driving me. Uh, and it's also that message that, you know, we can give advice without actually having to, to lead with the product. Yeah. And I think a lot of what's happened in the last 10 years has basically squeezed the ability of a lot of advisors to help people. And it's good to see now some of the technology and the automation is pulling it back the other way. So, um, I There's one thing, well, that, um, the research paper, you can just go onto our, our homepage, matmoplan.com.au. You can download that just by putting your email address in. Um, but if you do download it, feel free to share that with anyone you think would find it of interest. Um, sure. Or even, you know, quote parts of it, use part of it in your sales thing. And one of the stats in there shows the value of actually engaging an advisor and having a plan. It's people's levels of fitness quadruples when they actually engage an advisor and have a comprehensive plan. So it's a great stat for you guys to use as well in some of your discussions. And this is the same paper that's ge that generated the 25,000 hits? Yep. Yeah, so the financial fitness of working Australians. Just download it on the website. Perfect. Awesome. Well, if, if there's no more questions, Paul, I want to say thank you very much for your time. What do you got planned for the rest of the day? Um, mate, I've, got a, I've got actually got a lunch with an investor. Um, always keep them up to date. If you've got investors, you've got to keep them up to date continually because when you need more money, they're the easiest ones to go back to for more. That's true. Um, also, I always set that up and say, look, I need help on these two things. Let's catch up for lunch. Um, and so you're going to do that and then... I'm over to the web developers after this before lunch and then uh, come back to the city. Paul, take care. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. So there you have it, ladies and gents, for another week. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Finnovator. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Paul. A reminder, uh, you do he really do him a favor if you would head over to mapmyplan.com. Really have a play with it. And as an advisor or a broker or as a financial expert, I'd love you if you could see what you think of it. And uh, if you find anything that you think you could improve or any bugs, give drop Paul an email because I know he'd be really keen to hear from you. That's it from me. As always, if you haven't subscribed, please feel free uh, to do so uh, because you'll hear not just about these one-to-one -one masterclasses, but you'll also get access to little tidbits, uh, many of them live, not live, but pretty uh, recent from the program. These are things that I've been coaching to clients of our Leverage Advisement Program uh, to implement in their business to make really, uh, you know, positive changes, tweaks, and improvements. Uh, other than that, as always, if you love it, uh, please don't keep it to yourself. Um, it's always really, really appealing to me to know that uh, people are getting results as well. So if there's anything that comes up, feel free to email me at help at idera.com.au. Other than that, I hope you're doing well. Uh, have a great week, and I'll see you next time around.